Who are you? Why are you doing this? Shut up and keep digging the hole, old man. But why? Because you've been bad. You've been bad to a lot of people. But, but... Keep digging. Oh, hello there. It's your favorite teller of tales of terror, the seer. Ignore that old man digging the hole. He's about to be irrelevant as we ring in the new year with three stories that are sure to leave you shivering and scared. Our first encounter comes from a story shared by F Drifting and features an entity that keeps making himself known through a series of dreams. Okay, here's one that a dream last night made me think of. About 12 years ago, I was 16, and one night, I had a very strange dream. I was at a doorway, and when I stepped through, there was this entity there. A silhouette in the shape of a person. It had dark circles where its eyes were, and a dark opening for a mouth. It was very slender and had abnormally long fingers or nails, I'm not sure. Anyways, I decide to ask this thing what it wants. It tells me it needs my help for something very important. I ask if it's going to hurt me and it laughs at me for this and said, No, you are important to me. I will not hurt you. So I relax a little bit and then ask, Who are you? It responds, I'm nobody, but I'm also a little bit of everybody. It waves me off and disappears. Before I leave, it calls out, You are too kind. I step out the doorway and wake up later, went about my day like normal, Everything was fine. About a week later, I stopped at a nearby Hess to get a soda. I talked to the cashier for a bit, who I've gotten to know since I started driving. And this man walks in on his cell phone. He looked homeless. Well, not homeless, but just really rough around the edges. He tells the cashier he got a call that his wife's at the hospital and is freaking out and he has no car. After some convincing, he said he'd give me $20 to take him, which was literally three miles away. And me being a young idiot, I agreed. He gets in the car and immediately gives off weird vibes, but doesn't say a word. I notice after driving for a little while, he's just staring at me with a smirk on his face. I was incredibly creeped out. I finally arrive at the hospital, and he gets out and thanks me. He says, I knew you would help me, and gave me a big smile. I stare at him with a weird look, and he softly says to me, You are too kind. And he walks away towards the hospital doors. At this point, I promptly drove off quickly, 
and spent the rest of the night trying to figure out what the fuck I just did. I've convinced myself it was merely a coincidence with the dream thing, but others have said different. Since then, very sparsely, I've seen the same thing in my dreams. I've come to be okay with this thing. I talk to it like I would a distant relative I've never met. Just awkward conversation. It usually doesn't answer much. Back in November, I got sick. And I mean real sick. Throwing up and shitting nonstop so badly for about 11 days. I kept trying to walk it off, but finally went to the ER. I contracted C. diff, so fucking nasty, and it caused my appendix to explode. I was prepped for surgery and put under the next morning. They told me, no big deal, we'll be in and out, yada yada. I felt like it'd all be great. I'm not sure if it was while I was out, I had this dream, or after in recovery, but the surgery took its toll on me badly. They had to literally pull all my insides out and clean them off on a cart with a hose to get all the fecal matter off them. The stranger comes back, this is what I call him now, asks how I feel and if I'm okay. I tell him I'm not good, and I don't feel well. I told him I was scared because I've never had surgery before, and I was afraid of death. I'm only 28, so it scares me. He chuckled and said, Don't have fear. It's not your time yet. No worries. And he waves me off. I recovered, although I was in hell. Ten days in the hospital, lots of complications. Once it was all over, doctors start saying, Wow, that was a close one. Wow, you were really lucky. We were really worried about you. And turns out I was in pretty bad damn shape. It was supposed to be freaking simple. Anyway, I looked at the experience and found it kind of comforting. I felt like someone is looking over me. Fast forward to last week. I work as a glazer installing various glass objects. Windows, sliders, showers, tables, etc. I have a dream about the stranger and he just says, Not your time. I ask him to be more specific, and he waves me off. The next day, we're pulling out windows, some old things from the 70s. The glass is an eighth of an inch double strength. You can cut yourself so badly on it. I was trying to get the glass out, and it wouldn't budge, so I decided to cut the glass out. I score an X with the cutter and go outside to set up some scaffolding. I grab the first few pieces and walk over to the side of the house and I hear a tink 
I look up and flinch because I see something falling. Somehow the scores in the glass had gotten runs, which usually requires me to give it a good tap with my tape measure. It falls and lands about eight inches in front of me and some digs into the ground while most breaks into smaller pieces. I stare like an idiot and a thought in my head whispers, not your time. F drifting, thank you for sharing that encounter. Repeatedly seen in Can I come out now? This shovel is hurting my brittle old hands. No, shut up, I'm trying to host a show here. Where was I? Great, you made me lose my place. I'm sorry. Anyways, our next eerie encounter comes from a rural farm in South Africa in a story that was shared by Hamrammer, in which he and a group of friends see something that they initially thought would be a joke. I was in my second year of university studying law. Most of my friends were from farms, and we spent quite a lot of weekends and holidays on the different farms. The summer of 2005, one of my friends, Charles, invited me and another friend, Rudy, over to their farm for the December holidays as his parents went to the coast to visit relatives. The farm was a beautiful but typical South African Great Karoo farmstead dating from before the 1900s. The farm is about 75 kilometers from the nearest town and about 15 kilometers from the nearest main road, which itself was not paved or traveled frequently. After turning off from the main road, you have to drive through two unoccupied farms to reach theirs. You eventually reach an opening between two copies. A copy is a small hill rising out of an otherwise flat area. And as you drive between them, you take a slight left turn and then enter the farmyard. The historical farmstead lie at the foot of one of the copies, with a wooded area on the other side of the house. The interior of the house did not retract from the almost eerie historic feel of the farmyard, as almost all of the furniture had been in the family for generations, and the walls were lined with stern black and white faces of generations long past. As we arrived, we offloaded our gear, then my KX250, Rudy's RM250, Charles had a YZ250 that was already on the farm. There is nothing like the smell of a two-stroke running on castor oil in the morning. We were looking forward to a good week or two of dirt biking, hunting, and drinking beer. We were there for two days when his brother, his brother's girlfriend, and a female friend came to visit. We'd been dirt biking for most of the day, enjoyed a braai, 
which is a South African version of a barbecue, and decided to go out to hunt for jackal, caracal, and spring hare. We had an uneventful evening, not finding any jackal or caracal, which were messing with their sheep herd. But at least we had fun hunting spring hare, which can cause great damage to crops. We returned around 1 in the morning, and were not really feeling like going to sleep. Charles' brother remarked that the time was right for the ghost to be active, and that we should go see if it was the case. We laughed it off, as it is a common scare tactic used on the remote farms in the area. He took everyone on the farm to the back of the house, to the wooded area, and opened a gate, which made a high-pitched noise from its rusted hinges, as it wasn't opened frequently. To be honest, that changed the mood of the party, as we were about 50 meters from the old graveyard. As we approached the graveyard, we had to round a tree and came to the fence of the cemetery. As we got a view of the graves, all of us stopped dead in our tracks. There it was, sitting on the one grave about 10 meters from us. It's difficult to describe, but it looked like a almost solid and very bright one-dimensional humanoid figure in a sitting position. There were no light sources nearby. We did not even have a single torch or cell phone with us. Then it started to move. It slowly stood upright and started to pace up and down the graveyard. This whole time, a feeling of dread filled all of us. The only thing that convinced me that it really was not a hoax was the way it moved. It seemed like there was some type of lag in its movement, and gamers will understand what I'm talking about. It would take one slow step, freeze for a moment, and then instantly appear a few feet further ahead, repeating the process. We watched it pacing for about a minute, then it turned and sat back on the grave. It was at that moment that we quickly but quietly left. We went back to the house and had a few cups of coffee to reflect on everything and to get our nerves back together. Charles and his brother tried to convince us that what we had seen was real as the rest of us started to have our doubts. We all then decided to return to have a second look. In the back of our minds, we knew that it could not be a practical joke, as there was no one else around for at least 20 kilometers. As we rounded the tree again, we saw it still sitting on the grave. One of the girls whispered something, and we could see whatever it was turning its head to our side. It stood up in a smooth motion and turned to us. This time, it started walking towards us in its now characteristically weird manner, but only faster this time. Previously, it was quiet, 
but now we could hear the movement over dead leaves. We were all frozen in shock until it was about two meters from us. Suddenly, we heard the sound of something bipedal sprinting at us from our right, but nothing was visible under the moonlight. That was the moment all of us got back control over our bodies and hauled tail back to the farmstead. Everyone was a bit shaken up after this one, and we hanged around in the kitchen for another while, but drinking something stronger this time. We decided to call it a night, and everyone with their separate ways to their rooms. The next day, I and Rudy got up before the rest as we occupied one room and decided to go check the cemetery out. Everything looked familiar in daylight, and we noticed no footprints around the fence aside from our own where we had stood the previous evening. The inside of the fenced-off cemetery was untouched, though. No prints, no drag marks, nothing. We then enjoyed the rest of the day dirt biking, sightseeing the farm, and swimming in the farm dams. That evening, Charles' brother, his girlfriend, and the female friend left, leaving only me, Charles, and Rudy behind. We had a braai and a few more beers, and around midnight, me and Rudy decided to go check the graveyard out again, but we could see the reluctance in Charles' eyes. We figured that it probably was a finely planned hoax and decided to go anyway. We left the lounge, walked through the kitchen to the back door, and as I lay my hand on the door handle, my car's alarm went off. It was parked about five meters from the door. Charles flipped on the outside floodlights and ran back into the house fetching the shotgun as he thought that there was an intruder messing with the cars. My car's alarm was not sensitive and never went off unless it was being messed with. As we looked outside, there were no fresh footprints. Nothing. We brushed it off as an insect that somehow entered the car and triggered it. We went back into the house to lock up the shotgun. We discussed it and decided to still go back to the cemetery. Literally, just as we again touched the door handle, the alarm went off for the second time. I still had my keys and remote in my pocket and quickly de- and reactivated it through the window. Needless to say, we laid off our plans to visit the graveyard for that night, and my car's alarm was quiet from then on. We continued to enjoy the rest of our visit, but I must admit that sleep came a bit more difficult the last few nights. You don't have to do this, you know. Yes, I do, old man. I have to make room for the baby. What baby? Just shut up and keep digging. I want the hole finished by the time we finish hearing this word from our sponsor.
Have I dug this hole deep enough yet? Give it another half a foot. We want it to be a full six feet now. For our final story, we share the experience of Charles Martel and an adventure that he shared with his friends in the American Southwest. It was about mid-March in 2003, and a couple buddies from my college geology program and I had made our way to a truly deserted, unnamed canyon in Red Rock Country some 70 miles south of Moab, Utah. This wasn't another run-of-the-mill camping trip, though. We were returning to look for what we thought might be a completely articulated dinosaur skeleton we had spotted during one of our sedimentology stratigraphy field trips earlier the previous year. We had kept the find a secret, hoping to return when the weather got better to excavate it. Everything was going well. I had successfully gotten my Pathfinder several miles down the super narrow canyon we had hiked during our field trip. We were probably the first people to get a vehicle that deep into the canyon in years. We navigated the trackless sandy floor of the canyon to a point where it opened up just enough to park and make camp. The weather was unseasonably mild for March, and we took our time setting up camp in that warm early spring sun. We didn't have enough daylight to make for the dinosaur location that afternoon, so we decided to take what turned out to be a short but gnarly hike up one of the little side canyons from our camp location. It was amazing. After three-fourths of a mile of scrambling across, around, and under the massive sandstone boulders that lay in our path, the little canyon opened suddenly into an enclosed amphitheater rimmed with at least two dozen abandoned Anasazi Indian cliff dwellings. The ruins were so pristine, it was as if the residents had left only moments before we'd arrived. There were scores of unbroken, elaborately painted pots, intact baskets, and complete grinding stones sitting on the floors of some of the pueblos. There were mud brick granaries with corn and beans still in them, hidden in coves above the canyon floor. I had never seen anything like it. To make the whole scene even more surreal, there appeared to be recently burned wood charcoal in the fire pit in the center of the main kiva. It felt like we were trespassing a home, not investigating a thousand-year-old archaeological site. We explored the place until the last orange rays of daylight turned to the surrounding cliffs the color of fire, and we reluctantly made our way back to camp. We cooked our tinfoil dinners and sat by the fire, watching the Milky Way as it crossed the night sky, hatching schemes for global domination until we all crawled into our tents for the night. At about 1 a.m., 
I woke up scared. My heart was pounding out of my chest. I had been dreaming about Indians, fire, and drums. I know it doesn't sound scary as I describe it, but the imagery was both super abstract and incredibly terrifying. I sat up in my bedroll. It was dead quiet. Not so much as a breath of wind stirred outside my tent walls. And where the sky had been bright with the moon and stars before, it was now completely dark. It had also gotten much, much colder. I sat there for a few minutes, listening, convincing myself it had just been a dream. Finally, my pulse slowed, and I laid my head back down on the pillow. That's when I heard the drumming. It was a slow, regular, simple beat that didn't vary at all. I sat up again and tried to figure out where it was coming from, but all went quiet again. I repeated this cycle a few times until I realized I could really only hear it when my ear was to the ground. Somehow, the ground was conducting the sound better than the air. The drumming slowly quickened and intensified. At some point, it became audible without having to put my ear to the ground. I had completely forgotten about my friends, so it startled me to hear one of their voices pierce the darkness. Our conversation went something like this. Charles, Charles, you awake? Yeah, I'm awake. You hear that drumming? Yeah, I hear it. What the fuck? Where is it coming from? How the fuck should I know? Dude, let's get the fuck out of here. Where are we gonna go? We're in a 20 mile long slot canyon in the middle of nowhere. I've got my AK and three 40 round magazines. We're better off right here. Do you think you'll be able to shoot them? What do you mean? Dude, what if they're not... living? <sighs> Just don't leave your tent. We listened to the drumming, mixed with the occasional discernible howl, for the better part of four hours. It subsided just before dawn, and we emerged from our tent to nearly a foot of new snow. This is why it had become so cold and so dark, and possibly why the ground conducted the sounds of the drums better than the air. We didn't even attempt to get to the dinosaur site that day. The sun had fairly well melted the snow by late afternoon, and we bugged out as soon as it was humanly possible to do so. During the drive out of the canyon, my one buddy that all called John and I discussed what we thought was drumming. Our other friend didn't so much as stir all night. He woke up completely oblivious to the whole scene. 
John was convinced we had heard something supernatural. Past residents of the site we had discovered coming back to scare the shit out of us. John also wears Birkenstock sandals, burns incense, prays next to crystals, etc. I didn't have an explanation. The canyon eventually dumped us onto the Navajo Indian Reservation, and we stopped into a trading post to get some snacks and relieve ourselves. The Native American shop owner seemed friendly, if not a little surprised to see three pale faces this far into Navajo territory. So I asked him about the canyon, and about the beautifully preserved ruins there. He looked visibly upset that we knew about the ruins, and he asked if we had taken anything from the site. Of course we hadn't. He then told us that it was a very sacred site and that his people still used it for ritual purposes. He asked us to never go back, and he begged us never to tell anybody where it was. I've intentionally left the description of the area in this story vague. I asked him if any of his people were up there the night before, and he said that he didn't think there had been. Apparently, they knew it was going to snow when the National Weather Service didn't. He then told us that the little gap where we had camped was the site of one of the worst atrocities in local Native American history. I won't go into details, but if any of it is true, I'm ashamed to be of the same race as those that committed the crimes. After telling him about the drumming, the howling, etc., he just smiled and said, That happens sometimes up there. I'm not sure what that means. Perhaps I don't want to know what that means. That was a fantastic story, wasn't it? Yes. Yes, it was. I'm afraid that hole is as deep as it's going to get. We are running out of time. I can hear the countdown starting. The baby is almost here. What baby? Why baby New Year. And that means that it's time for you to go, Father Time. But I'm not ready to go. I still have so much to do. So much to see. So much to... It's okay, little one. It's okay. Calm down. You don't have to worry about that. Well, not until this time next year anyway. As we end this episode, as well as put an end to 2019, we wish you all the best in 2020. Thank you to Charles Martel, Ham Rammer, and F Drifting for their experiences. And if you have had an encounter that you would like to share, please submit it at scrypod.com, scrypodcast at gmail.com, or leave us a message at 573-203-8668. All stories on Scry are purported to be true. If you have liked this show, Please rate, 
review, and subscribe. I'd like to thank the wonderfully talented Iran Horrors for our logo. As we welcome in Baby New Year, I think it's only fitting that our podcast recommendation be a new podcast. So with that in mind, check out The Little Show of Horrors. It's hosted by Carmi Thomas and has only a few episodes at the moment, but this one is showing some great potential. You can find a link in our show notes. Thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great new year.